good morning. Welcome back to the kitchen, home from uh, Illinois. Again, thank you for your prayers uh, regarding my mom. And uh, I haven't heard anything yet this morning, but um, just waiting in hope. So, um, all righty. Well, this morning, if you've got your Bible ready, of course, I hope you do. We're going to be in Psalm 62. I want to um, share some thoughts from this passage this morning written by David, one of the many Psalms written by David. Uh, that uh, are really a tremendous window into his heart and his ability uh, to trust the Lord and, and, and really some insight into his character and personality in regard to his trusting the Lord. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and read the psalm. It's not very long, and um, I'm going to go ahead and just glean some insights, hopefully uh, just share some insights, I should say, from it as, um, as after we read it. So let me go ahead and read the passage. For God alone... My soul awaits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those who are of low state are but a breath. Those of high estate are delusion. In the balance they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Um, there is certainly justice in God's dealings. And David here, in the midst of all that he's talking about, encourages us not to um, to to regard man of high or low estate as uh, being something to anchor to or to trust in. Certainly not their schemes to 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 steal or to do things to and grant uh, to um, you know to take from others for their own benefit. In fact, God does uh, sort of pay back those. They reap what they sow in that regard. Um, but the larger picture here, what ultimately these things are pointing to, what they funnel down toward, is this idea of. God alone being that one that my soul waits for silently and in whom is anchored my salvation or my deliverance uh, is the idea there. Um, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. For God alone, only for him. Uh, it is only he upon whom my trust can truly rest. Now that's something that on a you know, in terms of just reading it or thinking in terms of a theological truth, we can explain this idea. But this is one of those passages, and this is one of those truths, that for all of our diagnosis of the passage, for all of our ex, uh, exposition of the passage, this is something that is best understood when experienced. Uh, there's, there shouldn't be a separation between our, 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 our desire to know theology and internalize it but then also to live it out and experience it. And when it comes to trusting in God, that is, to, to borrow kind of a clumsy phrase, that's one of those things that sometimes is better felt than told. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. When we find ourselves in situations where our hearts are overwhelmed, where the circumstances become beyond our capacity to handle, um, and we have to trust the Lord, 
and he comes through for us. Uh, sometimes that sense of just the peace and the rest that we find in the one who is ever faithful is a difficult one to sometimes express verbally, but we know what it means uh, to trust him. Uh, and it's like that in, 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 you know, when we trust anyone, but certainly when it comes to trusting God, there is this sense that um, I've experienced his faithfulness in a very personal way. And that's something that David understood, again, very practically. There were many times when he found himself in battle or running from an enemy or Saul was chasing him down and he would go hide in the hills of En Gedi and that kind of a thing. And, and David would have to trust the Lord because he, did ha- he didn't have any ability to really defend himself or to fight off an enemy. Or when he was a shepherd boy, you know, he was fighting off a lion and a bear and that kind of a thing. And he stood before Saul and talked about these experiences as he was about to go out there and take on Goliath, as he was essentially convincing Saul that he was going to be able to do this, not in his own power, but in, his, in the power of God and God's faithfulness. And God would show up just like he had when he had uh, taken on a lion or a bear and protecting the sheep. Uh, there was this sense that David had grown in his, uh, this, this ability or this this experience in David's life where God had shown up and he had learned to trust him through it. And so for God alone, my soul waits. And it waits in silence. Uh, two different words here used for silence in the two different places that David talks about his soul waiting in silence. Um, and combined, it speaks of the idea here of, of waiting silently. In other words, not freaking out and panicking or talking a lot or trying to maybe figure it all out or whatever was going through his mind when he said those words. But the idea of just being quiet, just no longer maybe just saying all the things that are freaking you out or scaring you, but rather just waiting quietly as if waiting for God to make his next move. For being willing, sort of putting yourself in, a, in, in just a place of like, okay, I'm God, you know what's going on here. Now it's just up to you. And David would wait silently, wait for the Lord in that way. Um, Again, he's not saying we don't pray. This whole psalm is a prayer, right? So David clearly is speaking or writing or singing, as it were, uh, as this psalm would become a a psalm of praise. But the idea of, 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 in connection with the second time it's used in verse 5, is the idea of literally being still, you know, Um, not panicking, maybe, is what he may have had in mind there, but something where he was at a certain level of peace. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 26, you know, uh, God says, you'll keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. This idea of experiencing the peace of God in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties or the onslaught that's coming, being still and just knowing that God has it is what I think is central here to what David is talking about. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Um, you know, as I was reading the passage, um, I kind of wondered, you know, um, about like the disciples, you know, as they follow Jesus around, um, as he would calm storm, as he would dispatch demons, as he would just do all the various things when their hearts were troubled, but there he was and he would deliver them. And I wonder if at times they would, as they looked at the, at the capacity that he had, he could speak to the weather and it would respond to him. He could command demons to leave and be exercised. And um, he could produce food out of nowhere. He could, you know, um, just do all these amazing things that demonstrated his deity, his power over uh, all of these things as God. And as they watched him do these things, and as they came to learn to trust him in the midst of it, 
I wonder if they thought about passages like this. You know, Paul said that things that were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so, you know, when we read these passages and we find ourselves in circumstances of our own, words like these are meaningful for us. They give us an, uh, a hanger upon which to, uh, to, to, to put our, our hope, to hang our spiritual hat, as it were, to know that we're at home in these passages, knowing that God is the same God today that he was then. And we, like they, or like David, or like others who throughout history have learned to trust him in, in dramatic circumstances, we too can trust him the same way and the same God shows up. Well, trusting him means that we are trusting in his character, you know, if we know the Lord, we know that he's good, that he loves us, that he's, uh, that he is good all the way through. That means he doesn't do things uh, with wicked intentions ever, anything like this, which means when we go through difficult things, it's not because he's wickedly trying to hurt us. There is a good purpose ultimately in it. Um, we, uh, we means we understand his power. We know that he can do all things. Uh, we think about his wisdom, his capacity, not just that he learns things and therefore knows how to do things. He is the very fountain of wisdom. Wisdom comes from him. Of course, he's wise. And on top of that, we also have to acknowledge too, if we trust him, uh, in, we have to acknowledge and trust in his will and his purposes knowing that he does all things well, knowing that he does all things with an intention, ultimately moving toward an end, a goal, a purpose. And we have to trust those things. Now that's important because when we read a passage like this where we trust that God is our deliverer, our salvation, the one in whom we anchor our trust in everything, we read passages how um, when we're anchored to that rock that is God will not be moved. We run into the uh, we run into the Lord and like a strong tower, he protects us. And you know something? He does. But there are times when God, in certain circumstances, chooses to allow us to go through very difficult things. And the truth of the matter is, is that many of God's very faithful servants die in some of their rough circumstances. Think about David. Now, David wrote these words, right? Well, David's best friend, Jonathan, was killed in battle, Right? Jonathan, brave, heart-knit to David's, just like David, loyal to David, a man who trusted God like David did. But there came a time when Jonathan passed in a, in, a, in a violent battle. Think of the apostles themselves. You know, all of them, except for John, ultimately were martyred. And, and an attempt was made on John, but God preserved him so he could go on to write the gospel, the revelation, the three letters and such. Um, God had a purpose in all of these things. And it's important to remember that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When they come home, that's a special thing for God, when he decides their time has come. But when we trust God, it means that we are willing to throw our, uh, our sense of how things should be upon his shoulders and let him be the ultimate determiner of those things. And there are times when he delivers us in ways that we never imagined, when we're protected safe in times that we never should have made it through. And then there are other times when because God's purposes require it, he ultimately uh, brings us to that point where we go through the difficult thing or maybe our, our end comes. Uh, but these things are all under the auspices of our trust in God and our ability to silently wait for him to do those things that he chooses to do. Um, interestingly, I mentioned the disciples, um, as I was thinking through the passage, uh, one of the links to that thinking was this word salvation in Psalm 62. And so often as we see it throughout the old Testament, uh, the word there for salvation, speaking of deliverance and such is the word Yeshua, uh, or some 
derivative off of the the root of Yeshua. In some cases, twice here, uh, more than twice here, it's actually Yeshua. Well, Yeshua is also, we see in the Old Testament as a name, Joshua, in the Hebrew or in the Old Testament writing. Well, in the New Testament, the Greek version of that is Jesus or Jesus. And it means God is salvation. It means God delivers. Well, you know, when we think about passages like this, and we think about God's power to deliver, how do we not ultimately bring it back around to his ultimate deliverance? Certainly when God asks us to trust him and to walk in his ways, knowing that he's got these things, and we walk in confidence, even though we understand sometimes he brings us through very difficult things to accomplish his purposes, we can look at a passage like this. We can consider Jesus himself in the New Testament, pictured throughout the old, but walking with the disciples in the New Testament, ultimately exampling this very thing himself as he walked fully confident that he was accomplishing his father's will as he went through uh, his ministry on the earth. But even at the finally at the one point, that plan throughout the ages came to its fruition in the death and resurrection of Christ. And so he knows of which he asks us to do. He has walked in the ways himself that he asks, asks us to walk in. And so when it comes to trusting God, it's something that we learn about. This is hopefully an instructive way to to learn about these things, but ultimately it falls back now uh, to us. Will we trust him? Will we walk through the difficult circumstances knowing that he's there with us, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, that no circumstance we find ourselves in uh, indicates that things have flown out of God's control. Nothing ever flies out of God's control but rather all things are under his sovereignty. He is the Lord and things happen as he decrees them. And it's ultimately to bring about the grand purpose of his glory, the salvation of those who will trust him and all of these things. As a matter of fact, in Romans 8.28, let me encourage you to turn there with me. Romans 8.28, most of us probably can quote Romans 8.28, but we don't often remember the passage that it's couched in. Uh, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work Uh, For we know that uh, for those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And there is a general sense in which we can apply that. But very specifically, the good that God is speaking of here, the Holy Spirit is speaking of through Paul, is that ultimate good of working in us, that salvation that God has called us and ultimately drawn us to. Um, All things work together for the ultimate good. Maybe, maybe it doesn't appear that way in the moment, but for the ultimate good, God continues to work in those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as a believer, you have nothing to fear. That's a big statement, isn't it? Well, if you knew my circumstances, you probably wouldn't say that. Well, I don't say it lightly, but what I mean is, is that when we put that circumstance into the framework of God's sovereignty of his ability to do and his 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 drive to do those things that ultimately bring about his ends even that circumstance we're in right now as difficult as it is and believe me i i do know that there are incredibly painful and difficult circumstances that we as believers can find ourselves in but even those things ultimately work a great purpose you know as job who um as the story goes, as Satan ultimately comes before the Lord and challenges God about this, this, this follower of his. And God allows Satan a lot of 
room to do things to Job and his family and his life and everything. And he just brings Job to utter ruin. But all along the way, Job remains faithful. He doesn't understand what's going on. He struggles, no doubt. The entire book of Job is such a rich study in this very thing. But Job famously says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That takes a lot to say something like that, going through the kinds of circumstances he went through. And interestingly, in the book of Job, when Job finally just cries out to God and wants to know why, the interesting thing is that God never answers why. He never tells Job why, but rather he directs Job to trust him. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I gave the, uh, uh, you know, made the eagle proud and such and all of these things that he did? And Job sits there and he recognizes, God, yes, I, I mean, I'm struggling with this, but clearly your ways are too wonderful for me. Your wisdom is beyond me. Your ability is beyond me. The answer wasn't the answer per se. The answer was God and trusting him and knowing that he and his divine purposes is working all things together for good. And so because I know this is true in God alone, I will anchor my soul. I will put my trust, as David would say here, for God alone my soul will wait in silence, for from him comes my deliverance. Whether it's in the moment or whether it's ultimately, he'll be faithful to accomplish his purposes in and through us. And we'll be able to see those things one day, maybe understand them better than we can now, one day when we stand in his presence. But God will do what God will do, and you can trust that, and you can rest in that. Father, we thank you for the clarity uh, that can come by simply trusting you. We may not always understand why you do what you do. We may not know the nuances behind the decisions you make or why things unfold the way they do. But on the other hand, you've not asked us to, to understand everything, but you have asked us and invited us to trust you. And so, Father, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in right now, we just ask you to give us the strength to trust you, to anchor our hope upon you. For you alone, let our souls ultimately wait in silence, wait quietly, looking for you to make your next move and knowing that ultimately you do excellently. We're your servants, Lord. We're your children. We're yours to direct and guide as you will. Help us to wait upon you and to allow you that freedom to do in our lives what you desire to do, because we do seek to glorify you. And if we don't, help us to surrender ourselves to you that we might have that desire. For you alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of glory. You alone are worthy of our, of our obedience. So we thank you, Father. Do what you will and help us to trust you all along the way. Keep our minds at perfect peace as we fix our gaze upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.